Well, thank you, JP, for your warm welcome. Uh, last week, week before he went on vacation, JP sent me an email that said, expect a fair amount of spiritual attack and discouragement as you prepare to preach, especially because you are preparing to preach on spiritual warfare. Well, most of last week went very well. And I thought at one point, God must be answering JP's prayers because I feel good. But then came Wednesday evening and uh, right before I was due to preach on Thursday. And our boys have been home and it has been great to have them. But we've all been, we've all had a lot of work on. And so we haven't had much time together. So we had, we had planned to have a nice meal on Wednesday and play a game. But they were late. So very late. And I blew up and they blew up. And the nice meal I prepared, nobody wanted to eat. And our evening was in ruins. But then it gave us space to talk and to cry and to show each other that we were all stressed and sad about not being able to be as present with each other as we would like. And we hugged and we made up and we felt closer than we'd been for a long time. And the next day I thought, well, maybe that's the illustration I need for my sermon today because uh, this sermon is all about how God takes and redeems our mess and failure and brings good out of them. The bowl that you can see up here is an example of the Japanese art of kintsugi, where uh, craftsmen take broken pieces of pottery and put them back together with gold resin. And the resulting bowl is much more beautiful than the original. Nehemiah says in verse three, that he is carrying on a great project. And Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. God has great projects for all of us. Some are lifelong projects like marriage, family, our work. Others are short-term like Nehemiah's. But they are all places for God to display his glory and places where we will also face opposition. And today I want to look at how we can recognize and respond to spiritual opposition and how God will redeem it, the opposition we face for his glory and our good, how we can overcome evil with good. So two weeks ago, JP introduced us to Nehemiah and his great project. Nehemiah was cupbearer to King Artaxerxes, which was a position of high status, but he left it all behind to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And you'll remember that uh, Nehemiah prayed for favor with the king, and God answered his prayer. And so King Artaxerxes commissioned Nehemiah to do this work and sent him back. And all went well initially, and then they ran into opposition from the three characters mentioned in today's reading, Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem. They faced ridicule and threats, and so Nehemiah prayed again. He pivoted. He uh, equipped half his wall builders with trowels and the other half with spears, and they persevered. And then today we see that the wall is completed. 
But what we also see is that calling and opposition go hand in hand. And Jesus warned his followers of this. He said that in this world, you will have trouble. And he prepared his followers for persecution. Wherever the kingdom of God is advancing, there will be opposition. And that may come in the form of people, but often it comes from the spiritual forces of evil because behind all the enemies and opposition we face is the ultimate enemy. Paul says in Ephesians 6, 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And whether we recognize it or not, all of us in this room, all of you watching online, are in a spiritual battle, and we will be until we die. So today I want to look at three questions. How can we recognize this enemy and his tactics? How should we respond to him and resist him? And how does God redeem the opposition that we face? But before I do that, let me pray. Lord God, thank you that you are sovereign. You are greater than any opposition or enemy we face. And Lord, I ask that you would speak through me and that your words would bear fruit in our lives. May we not just be hearers of the word, but may we be doers. And so, Lord, may your word bring forth the, the fruit that you desire. And I ask this in your name. Amen. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Sounds so innocent. Just come, let's meet. What could be wrong with that? And so often our problem when fighting this spiritual enemy is that we don't recognize that he's at work. We don't see what his, intent, his invitations for what they are. The problem with this invitation was that it would have taken Nehemiah on a day's journey into enemy territory away from the wall building at a critical point, just when they were going to um, mount the gates in the door and complete the whole project. So often the night is darkest before dawn and we find that often just before we're going to have a breakthrough, the opposition intensifies. Now we live in a highly distracted culture and distraction is probably the number one tactic that the enemy uses. You know, we, we particularly right now where everyone's working from home, we're on call all the time. You know, we get text messages, emails, Facebook, uh, tweets, you name it. They're coming all the time, bombarding us, and very often they're pulling us away from the things God's called us to do, from our marriages, our family, from the work he set before us, and from sharing our faith in him with others. This, we, we get distracted away from those things. And we could all learn, I think, from Nehemiah's response here when he says firmly, I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it to go down to you? And so they try this five times, but it doesn't work. So then they try another tactic, distortion and defamation. They send an unsealed letter which is the fifth century equivalent of a tweet or a Facebook post so that everyone can see it. 
And they make out that Nehemiah is leading a, a revolt to build a wall to make himself king, and that there are prophets prophesying that there is a king in Judah. Now, there were some elements of truth in this. Uh, they, they were building a wall, and there were men, messianic prophecies, um, but Nehemiah had no desire to be king, and he certainly wasn't doing that. But what we see here is that lies that have elements of truth are way more powerful than ones that are complete fabrications. And so often the way our enemy works is he distorts truth. We see that when he tempted Jesus, when he quoted scripture, but he misquoted it. The unsealed letter also was intended to discourage not just Nehemiah, but his followers. As he says in verse 9, they were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. Whenever we start Alpha, I face, in the week before, I'll get these waves of discouraging thoughts. No one's going to come, you know. No one's going to show up. You're going to have this great meal and nobody's going to come and eat it. And... I get, I tend, I've come to expect calls from my team members that go something like this. You know, I really did feel I wanted to do Alpha, but, you know, work's got really stressful and I'm, I just don't think I have the bandwidth to do it right now. But when these tactics of discouragement and defamation and distraction fail to work, the, the enemy, Nehemiah's enemies turn to the ultimate weapon, deception. They persuade this prophet, Shemaiah, to send Nehemiah a false prophecy, as we see in verse 10. Let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night, they are coming to kill you. And in the original, this is written in the form of an oracle to make it look and sound more like a genuine prophecy. Jesus calls Satan the father of lies, the thief who comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. He steals our joy and our peace that we can have when we trust God. He destroys families and marriages by getting us to agree with him that we can't forgive or that we need to vent our anger in ways that are destructive. This battle is in our minds. Who will we believe? Will we believe the lies that Satan tries to put there? Or will we believe the truth that we read in God's word? So we have seen so far the, devil's, the, the enemy's tactics of distraction, distortion, defamation, and discouragement and deception. Helpfully, all beginning with D to make it easier to recognize. But now let's look at the second question. How do we respond? Well, I would summarize Nehemiah's response as resist, request, and release. So first, Nehemiah recognizes his enemy, then he resists him. James says in James 4, 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. The more you resist temptation, the weaker it becomes. The more you give into it, the stronger it is. And Nehemiah's enemies take up a frontal assault and switch to using an insider, someone living in Jerusalem, someone who's recognized as a prophet. 
How does Nehemiah recognize, realize that Shemaiah is also an enemy? Well, he knows God's word. And he knows that God would not invite him to do something he had previously forbidden. In verses 12 to 13, he says, I realize that God had not sent him, but that he prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. And then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Nehemiah was not a priest, and so it would have been a sin for him to enter into the inside of the temple. Knowing God's word helps us recognize the enemy's lies. When Satan tempted Jesus, he responded by quoting scripture. And that's why we encourage everyone to meditate on the Bible every day, to memorize scripture, why we focus on studying the Bible in our small groups. And if you struggle with negative thoughts, I encourage you to identify the lie, write it down, and then find a biblical truth that you can put in its place so that when that lie comes to your mind, you can replace it with the truth and it will set you free. So we recognize and resist the enemy and then we need to request help as Nehemiah does in verse nine. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. When we recognize we are under attack, we can pray. And prayer can be very powerful in these situations. When my son, John Henry, was about five and a half, I remember one particular Sunday where we had taken him to church and he was very angry because he didn't want to go there. He wanted to stay home and watch a television program. And he was so angry, I didn't know what to do. He was kicking the cars. He was just spewing anger. And, in, and finally I said to him, can I pray for you? And he said, very grudgingly, he said, yes. So I prayed. And it was like flipping a switch. Immediately, the anger dissipated and he was restored to his normal self. I find that too, when I face that discouragement that I was talking about earlier, I've learned to ask people to pray. So often I'll go to JP and say, I need you to pray. And when he does, or when others do, the discouragement lifts. And, I, and as Nehemiah prays, God strengthens my hands. So we resist, we recognize the enemy, we resist him, we request help. And then we need to release those who hurt us into God's hands, as Nehemiah does here. He says, remember Tobiah and Sambalat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Noadiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. Nehemiah doesn't take revenge. He doesn't write to the king. He simply entrusts his enemies to God. And Jesus is very clear. We need to forgive our enemies and pray for them. Now, this doesn't mean that what they did was okay. It simply means we're releasing them into God's hands. So that what it does mean is that you don't tell others what they've done and you don't keep rehearsing it in your mind because that will simply allow anger and resentment to take root in you. And Paul warns us in Ephesians 4, 26 to 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. We all get angry from time to time, as I did when my boys were late. But it's what happens next. And when we, we need to forgive and release them, and then the relationship hopefully can be restored.
So we resist our enemy, and Satan and his minions. We request help. We release those who hurt us into God's hands. But that's what we do. Now I want to turn to what God does. How does God redeem the opposition and setbacks that we face? Well, look at the last two verses in today's passage. So the war was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. God was glorified. Completing the wall in 52 days was an amazing feat. Only God could have enabled them to do that with all the opposition that they faced. We were created to glorify God. And when we complete the good works that he's prepared for us to do, not in our own strength, but in his, he is glorified. And because of the antics of Sambalat and his cronies, all the other nations heard about the wall building and what God had done through Nehemiah and his people. So people who didn't know God realized what he had done. It made them wonder. And as Nehemiah says, it caused them to lose their self-confidence. But many times we're not like Nehemiah. We fail to stand firm. We believe the enemy's lies and we give in to temptation. But just as my story in the beginning about the ruined family evening, God redeems what the enemy intends for evil. And we see this pattern throughout the Bible. One example is Joseph when his brothers, when he finally meets his brothers again after they had earlier sold him into slavery. And he says in Genesis 50, 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And we see this supremely through the cross. From the perspective of Good Friday, the cross looks like the ultimate triumph of evil over good. But God took what Satan intended for evil and used it for the saving of many lives. And through Jesus, if you've put your trust in him, we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Now, we still have an enemy. We daily face the distractions, distortion, defamation, discouragement, and deception. But victory is assured. This world is not all there is. One day, we will be with Jesus, and there'll be no more enemies, no more pain, no more death, no more sorrow. And if you do not have that assurance, then please stay afterwards today and pray so that you can receive that gift that Jesus offers. And if you're watching online, there's a button you can press at the bottom that says pray with someone, and you can pray with someone that way. But this isn't just about heaven when we die, because Jesus is with us now to help us in the battles we face every day. And we can overcome evil with good, with God. Because he has prepared good works for you to do. And he will equip you to complete what he has called you to. And he will redeem the opposition and the setbacks you are facing. These bowls that I've been displaying in the slides are a visual reminder that God is the master craftsman. And he will take the broken pieces of our lives and make something beautiful out of them. The gold points us to the blood of Jesus. 
that covers our brokenness, the most precious thing we have. And it's also a picture how, of how Jesus reconciles us with each other, how broken, jagged pieces can be joined together by his blood and become something truly beautiful, that, it's, that his ultimate goal is for us to be together, to be one people. Now, this pandemic that we're facing in the moment is unquestionably evil. Millions are suffering and have died. Many have lost jobs and security and income. And I don't know why God has allowed it, us to face this at this time, but I am confident that he can redeem it if we let him. All of us face a choice. We can focus on what we're missing at the moment, on all that is wrong, or like Nehemiah, we can choose to look for how God is calling us to respond. Audra Hebert, at the beginning of this pandemic, faced the loss of her business. She had a dog walking business and when all her customers started working from home, they didn't need her services anymore. So she had a lot of time on her hands and she she wondered, she asked God, how would you have me use it? And she prayed that God would show her what to do. And uh, a few days later, she realized that a lot of her former clients were um, very afraid to go shopping. So she offered to shop for them. And then she, uh, they all wanted to give her money. And she said, no, she was doing this because she sensed it was what God wanted her to do and she wanted to help people. But they insisted on giving her money. So, and some of them gave her quite a lot of money. And so then she prayed again and she said, well, what am I to do with this money? And uh, then she, a couple of days later, she noticed that Lazarus' house was running out of supplies. And so she thought, right, I'll use the money to buy um, goods that Lazarus' house needs so that they can help feed people who, are, um, who need that, who need food right now. So she filled up her car, and I think you can see her there, um, and uh, with, with supplies over many times and help um, fill up the Lazarus House pantries. And uh, the Eagle Tribune heard about it and wrote an article that you can see here. So out of the setback of the loss of her business, Audra, like Nehemiah, prayed. She sensed how God was showing her how to respond. And with God's help, she is overcoming evil with good. Through her initiative, many people are being blessed and God is being glorified. So if you're listening here today and you're wondering, well, I don't know what God wants me to do. Well, then I want to point you to our new serving page on our website because we want to help you find the good, identify some of the good works God's prepared for you. And uh, the way it works is you can simply fill out a simple shape profile on this, on this page, and then uh, we'll, they'll come through to, to me, and then um, we'll contact you, to, and you can meet with one, a member of staff just to explore where God might be calling you to serve. So that's one way you could respond. But, I want, but some of you may be feeling like you know what you're called to do, but you are facing so much setback and attack right now. And so if that's you, if you're feeling that you're struggling, 
that you can't continue, then I encourage you again, come to the front at the end and we'll pray for you. Or uh, press that prayer button and, and someone else, someone can pray for you online. And finally, I want to quote John Lennon, who apparently said, everything will be okay in the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end. So hold on, expect opposition, request help, release those who hurt you into God's hands, and you will experience God's deliverance. Overcome evil with good. Amen.